We're not all in the email? No, not letting me in. That's what she said. Boom chat. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to The Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hello, listen to a special episode of Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast presented by two true freaks. And some people thought this episode wouldn't happen. Yet we persevered. I interrupt. Oh, yeah. Some, some people thought this episode wouldn't happen, and many of them are on this call. Yep. Seven years to the day that this podcast debuted, we are releasing a special epilogue of sorts to Listen to the Prophets as the journey is done. You've heard the final regular episode. So we've brought everybody back. To introduce our guests, we have, in no particular order, W. Blaine Dowler. Hello, thanks for having me back. Gene Hendricks. Hello, everyone. And Scott Gardner. Hello. And, of course, your normal rabble-rousers, Mr. Paul Spataro. of normal. No one, <laughs> I, no one has I heard, ever accused me of being normal. normal. I heard those air quotes, Dave. <laughs> Dr. Bill Robinson. Uh, no one has ever accused Dr. Bill of being regular. <laughs> or of being, or no, or of being a doctor. Little, well, little fiber, get that taken care of, Bill. Bruges. No problem there. Then Sir Andrew Leyland, who normally goes last, but his contract is now void, so. <laughs> he can't even drive on the right side of the road. What do you mean, normal? <laughs> well, it's not the right, no, because it's the left, so. <laughs> and then finally, David Pascarella, one of us, two Daves, because I'm J. David Weeder. So David Pascarella and I are kind of like the two Darrens. We kind of switched out at one point, and nobody seems to have noticed. <laughs> which which one is away. which one? Which one is the guy with the uh, the emphysema that has to walk around with the oxygen? That was that was that was Dick York, wasn't it? I don't know. If you hear me after one of my runs, you would wonder if, if I've got the emphysema because I'm constantly consider I'm wondering if I have a wheeze going on. But yeah, we the funny thing is with David and I, um, it happened, and there was a recording that explained. It was just scheduling, and I had to step away, but I had to cut it because it was on the wrong episode. So I never put it back in. So one day, there was just a different David there. <laughs> and we <laughs> just rolled with it all these years. <laughs> so basically what you're saying is we recast you between episodes. You recast and me, yep. nobody noticed that we brought in a different actor. The part of Dave Weeder will now be played by... In, in order to notice it, people would have to actually listen. So which, which Darren would that make Dave Pascarella, then? Dick York or Dick Sargent? Well, Dick Sargent was the later one. Right, so, so that makes me. Dick Sargent there. I was going to ask which Dick came first, but... <laughs> well, you'd be hard <laughs> to guess which Dick comes first with this assemblage. Actually, it's more of an Enos and Cletus from uh, the Dukes of Hazzard. <laughs> then we wind up together at the end. Yeah, after your own show gets cancelled. Has your show been cancelled, Dave? Well, this is the, the final, final episode. 
but it's but it's not the final final episode, and and I want to try and give the listeners the, the clue to that as much as I possibly can. We have been continuing to record under a new banner, uh, and at least our initial uh, undertaking following "Listen to the Prophets" is going to be Toon Trek, where we are looking at uh, the ni- early 1970s animated series of Star Trek episodes. So. If you have enjoyed listening to us, or if you haven't, uh, you can continue, but it'll be under a different uh, show that you'll have to subscribe to, and it'll be called Toon Trek. The human adventure is just beginning. And then when we when we conclude Toon Trek, if we haven't killed each other, we'll talk about what we're going to do after that. Star Trek: The Motion Picture, minute by minute. Ooh. I think we have to. Right. And this right this minute, they're looking at the ship. <laughs> Well, it'll be a way there it gets gotten wrong on very with easily. Scene with a looking at the ship. There, there is nothing wrong with it, and I'm going I'm to, after making fun of it, I'm going to defend it because if we, you know, I, at least the, the uh, Superman the movie minute by minute, they do five minute clips, and if we had a five minute clip and a lot of it was spent looking at the ship, you, you'd spend the show describing what it is they're seeing and and what it is they're feeling and why it's being portrayed in the show, and you would actually be able to to make some sense of it of what people you know complain about. So and you'd be this is that lovely model and the lighting and how it reflects off them and how it's perfect to set up just how big this goddamn ship is, so that when you get to Voyager, you go, oh shit, yeah, that now, huge that, ship is now this teeny, teeny tiny thing. All, all that said, we're not doing Star Trek the Motion Picture <laughs> minute by minute. I will say, in defense of Star Trek the Motion Picture, when I saw it on the big screen, it, it fully got me what they were going for because the scale makes sense on an actual big screen where home entertainment. As big as your screen can be, and in some cases I've seen pretty big screens, it doesn't always sell that idea. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, I, I've been preaching that one for years now, that people who watched it on, you know, a 25-inch screen, which at the time was considered a big screen, you know, they, they never got the scale, and they never appreciated it. And back then it would be in pan and scan on top of that. Yes. That's the way it was, and we liked it. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> we didn't like it. No, we didn't like it. That's why the movie got a bit. Like that's why. Light. Yeah, but that's why the movie got a bad reputation, an undeserved bad reputation. Anyway, this isn't about Star Trek: The Motion Picture. It is not about Toon Trek, which you should subscribe to when it comes on. Uh, but this is about Listen to the Prophets. And I have to say, when we started doing this, and we, you know, we've gone through several iterations. Uh, uh, when it was myself, Sir Andrew, and the late great Sean. Uh, this was this was definitely something that I looked forward to, and I really, you know, I couldn't wait to, to chomp into it. But I have to say, I had my apprehensions that, you know, are we going to really, really be able to do this entire series? And I look back on it, and you know, I take great pride in the fact that we did, and we persevered through uh, some some very tough things that have gone on, and you know, the 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 biggest of which is very obvious to anybody listening is the loss of loss of Sean. Uh, Andy and I had to do some serious soul searching at that point as to, you know, did we want to continue? Uh, and ultimately, we decided that, you know, we, we we basically we put ourselves in the role, and it was like, okay, if if it was the other two of you and I was gone, what would I want? And we both came up with the last thing we would want is for you to just say, okay, I can't have fun anymore. I don't want to do this, and I don't want to do this show. Uh, that, that was a labor of love for all three of us. So we did go on. We persevered, and over the course of time, uh, you know, 
Bill joined the, the cast, and Dave Weida joined the cast, Dave Pascarella joined the cast, and Gene and Scott and Blaine all, you know, guested on episodes. Uh, and, you know, my anticipation when it began of this being such a labor of love was not disappointing at all. It, it, it has been. I've looked forward to these Saturday mornings, you know, regularly, which quite frankly is why I was so gung ho about doing Toon Trek, because I hate to give up what we've developed between us and what we've enjoyed doing so much for so many years now. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm very thankful that, that the guys have not gotten tired of me and want to continue going. Uh, but this, this, you know, again, it's just, it, it was, it feels like a terrific accomplishment for us personally. I hope the listeners have enjoyed it even a fraction of it, as much as I've enjoyed doing it with you guys. Uh, and if they have, it's been a successful show. I agree. <laughs> Andy is, if nothing else, verbose. Yeah. Yes. Normally I'm I'm quite verbose, but you know, it was difficult to decide to carry on. It was difficult to decide whether or not we should carry on. But ultimately we thought, well, he probably wouldn't want us to stop. So we carried on. And it's ended up being um it's ended up being a lot of fun revisiting Deep Space Nine, especially when we got into season six and seven, which I'd never seen beyond their initial airing. So going back and re exploring them, especially as it got more serialized and more of the supporting characters came to the fore, not just the regular characters. And it really did earn its place in 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 what Star Trek has become. It's still the only show I think that serializes serialized television to its greatest effect, which is weird when you consider that the new ones are being made when everybody makes serialized television. But what Deep Space Nine did was it just kept building and building and building and all these recurring characters were suddenly almost semi-regulars and you didn't realise it. And if they were making a lot of it up as they went along, and they were, they did a really good job of it. And if nothing else, you guys got me to watch season seven for the first time ever. Oh, really? Yeah, well, because uh, between August of 98 and April of 9... I'm sorry, August of 97 uh, April of uh, 98, I was in Sheffield, England, doing a stu- the study abroad program, and the only access to a television I had was either at a friend's flat or the common room of the dorm, so I didn't get to see a, a lot of TV. So I kind of lost track of Deep Space Nine, and when I came back I just didn't pick it back up. So I had never seen anything Esri until I was watching along with this podcast. So as as we sit here today with uh, the most recent episode uh, not getting to the conclusion yet, uh, I believe there's two episodes to go as we're sitting here right now. Uh, are those episode two episodes still unwatched by you, or you or have you watched them and are just waiting for the show? I have watched everything. And I'm just waiting for the show because I wanted to get to the end of it and then watch what we left behind, so that I because you guys did the special on that, so I figure I'm. I need to finish the show. <laughs> we'll then watch that. on you. Yeah. <laughs> so I am now completely caught up with everything Deep Space Nine that has been on a screen. Anybody else have any, any thoughts before we touch on our email? Uh, I just want to commend you guys for getting this done. It, it Index shows are not a small achievement, especially when you've got a large cast of hosts and you, you bring in the guest stars. There's just a lot of logistics behind it, and so many podcasts fade, and you have persevered in the face of things that most podcasts don't deal with. So again, you guys have done it, and you have done it well. 
So congratulations, and I am looking forward to Toon Trek. Thank you. And, and for those listening who have enjoyed Blaine's input uh, into our episodes, and Blaine, when, when was it, if you can recall, when was it that you became a regular cast member who didn't actually appear on the show? I think it was late season two or early season three. I, just my own history with the podcast, I subscribed as soon as it came out, but I didn't start listening right away because I also listened to Mission Log, and I figured, well, you guys were ahead of the Mission Log schedule, so I would just bank the episodes and, you know, listen to both podcasts covering simultaneously. And then I got an email from Sean asking me to come in and talk about the science when Chris Sarandon's guest appearance came on. And I became the science advisor, and I, with that invite, I figured, no, I better get caught up and see the format of the show and listen in. And when he said it was the science advisor, well, okay, I started paying a lot more attention, and then um, I can just go through my email history here, because I have everything filtered, and I could find out exactly. Um, yeah, I here we go. I think yeah, July 11th, 2015, talking about homecoming was the first just general feedback. And then... And and I'm sure it wasn't long after that that it became... uh, What does Blaine say? Yeah, November 13th, 2015, when I sent feedback on uh, Season 2, Episode 23, Crossover. From that point on, it's every episode until the series runs. Uh, And then, um, yeah, I knew that the the Toon Truck was coming. I didn't know about the rebrand, but I knew that one was coming. So the... I've sent feedback on the entirety of Deep Space Nine and now 10 of the animated episodes. And and for anybody listening, I'm not going to really get into why, but we've taken Blaine's guest appearances where he's not actually with us to a new level. Uh, and you'll, when you listen to the episodes, you'll know why. Nice teaser, Paul. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say um, to uh, Paul and Andy, thank you for asking me to step in and assist you guys to to help finish. Uh, I had been on a few guest appearances prior to Sean's passing, and um, thank you for uh, helping me finish what Sean started. And and also thank you to Dave for the editing chores that he took upon himself for us. Um, I when did you start doing all the editing, Dave? Was that towards uh, season five? Somewhere in there. It was the trials and tribulations. Okay. Yes, and I, I would thank you for that as well because you've saved me some small amount of mental capacity there. Uh, and I thank you, Bill, for coming on and helping us to finish this because as much as Andy and I wanted to, I think uh, the burden would have been a little too heavy for just two of us. Mm-hmm. So we definitely needed that extra voice in there to help out. And, uh, you know, we, we haven't heard anything really from him, but uh, I want to thank Scott for being the... Uh, yeah, that was going to be the, next. The, the, loyal, the loyal opposition. Because <laughs> <laughs> as, as much as we all love and respect Scott's opinions, and we do, uh, we differ in our opinions on this show. Scott is not the biggest fan of this particular show. Uh, and, and through many conversations... Oh, yeah, throw me under the bus. On the well, let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me finish throwing you under the bus and let the tires go over you before you respond. <laughs> many, many, many conversations that Scott and I and Scott and Bill and I have had, uh, 
when we were recording Back to the Bins and, you know, they, they didn't make it on the air. But we've talked about the show and we've talked about episodes. And quite frankly, Scott has given me, and I would imagine Bill as well, a lot of good feedback and a lot of good thoughts, you know, f- food for thought. Uh, so behind the scenes, despite not being the biggest fan of the show, he's actually not. And, uh, and by saying not the biggest fan of the show, I mean Deep Space Nine, not Listen to the Prophets, which he, which he dearly loves. Uh <laughs> he, but, but despite not being the biggest Deep Space Nine fan, he has been, in his own way, a very silent contributor to the content that's come before you. Uh, so, you know, thank you for that. Silent but deadly. Oh, that was that was very that was very kind of you. I appreciate that. Um, I just I, I'm struck by you know Deep Space Nine was was huge. I mean, it's it's one of the 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 big three of star trek in the fact that you know of the of how long it ran and and the scope of the show and everything and just you know when i think about it uh you know 176 episodes it ran for seven years it had this massive cast it had these really epic uh stories and you know grand ideas and everything and and a whole different take and just to think that you guys you know, went through that piece by piece, episode by episode yourselves for seven years. I'm just struck by what a colossal waste of time. No, I mean, um, <laughs> uh, no, um, no, I mean, that's, that's really awesome. And the thing that, that really, you know, and I know you mentioned it before, but I think it bears repeating. Um, the thing that really strikes, strikes me the most about the show and, and why I'm glad you guys did what you did um, is, you know, I loved Sean. You know, Sean was a good friend to all of us, and uh, and I miss him every day. And I wish I'd gotten to, to podcast more with him. And I, I think it's very fair to say that yeah, he would have wanted the show to continue. So I'm I'm glad that you guys did forge ahead with it. And and I think this is a wonderful testament, you know, to his memory and everything. But you know, good on you guys. You know, I, I'm really proud of you that you made it this far and everything. And this show, honestly, I think this was the very first time that uh, I'm not sure how to put it. I'm tempted to say I was tested. That's not really what I mean. But I think, you know, if memory serves, this was like the first thing that was ever going to co- be on the Two True Freaks feed that I wasn't like 100 percent behind in the, in, you know, in the thought of, ah, you know, I really don't like Deep Space Nine, you know, is this content that I really want on something that has my name on it kind of thing, but I mean, you know, having listened to the show, having been on the show, having to get, you know, get to know you guys over the years, you know. Getting caught in revolving doors with us. I'm sorry? Getting caught in revolving (laughs) doors with us. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you guys have really turned me around on it uh, a lot, and I'm really, I'm very proud of the show, you know, and I mean, I had nothing to do with it other than, you know, that it's on our feed, but I'm I'm proud of, you know, the job that you did with the show. Um, It's something I I couldn't have done myself, and that was actually one of our running gags, too, was, you know, thanks for taking that bullet. (laughs) (laughs) Covering Deep Space Nine so Scott doesn't have to, you know, that sort of thing, so, but... Yeah, good on you guys. I'm really happy for you. We'll do Star Trek Discovery now. Oh, no, we won't. Whoa. Uh, well, that's the thing. You know, thanks to Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard, Deep Space Nine's no longer the worst Star Trek show. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just worthy. took a drink as you did that. <laughs> Who invited him on here? I, I tease. I everything tease. I said. 
Well, you know, I, I you know, it it it's, it is kind of ironic that you know every time I would go, hey, have you guys, you know, I, you know, I'd like to be on for like uh, uh, trials and tribulations or some of the, and they're like, oh, we did that one already. So <laughs> that also became a running gag where it's like I always missed, you know, the opportunity to come back and do subsequent episodes and everything because. Um, I you know I enjoyed the show once Worf came on. I it, it gave me you know more of a touch point with the show because that that was one of my big things with it is I I had a really hard time latching on to the the original cast of the show you know when the show started and everything I just uh, it, it was really difficult for me to like find that that one character to the I really wanted to get invested in kind of thing but when Worf came in you know. I was already invested in him because of you know the you know all the stuff he'd done with uh, with TNG and everything, and so I got to to enjoy the show when he came in because of the relationships he built with the characters and everything. So I was much more, <clears throat> pardon me, emotionally attached to those episodes and those seasons and everything. Um, but unfortunately, it just never worked out where I could come, come back and say positive things about, you know, those episodes and seasons and everything. But uh, but I did enjoy those quite a bit. I'm long so you're attached to the bad fathers. I'm sorry? So you're attached to the bad fathers. To the bad fathers. Worf is not the best father. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really true. <laughs> I think Worf coming on allowed them to make the show something else. And it needed to be something else. I think in the first three seasons, we weren't negative about the first three seasons at all. But I do think you're right that the first three seasons, the show is trying to be something that it isn't. It is trying to be the same kind of show that Star Trek and the Next Generation are. And it clearly isn't. It's clear to everyone who's watching it, it's not that show. And Worf coming on allowed them to go, all right, we have to take on this Next Generation character. How can we do him in such a way that we're not just rehashing seven years of the Next Generation? And Babylon 5 was already on at that point, and I do think they were influenced by Babylon 5. I think they can deny it as much as they want. You've got this other space station show that's going on that is arguably much better than what Deep Space Nine was in its first three seasons. Absolutely. yeah, I think they were really clearly influenced by the fact that Babylon 5 was doing something different. It wasn't just being Star Trek. And they were like, well, okay, we need to do something different. And whether you didn't like it or you did like it, the fact that they were at least trying to do something different is always worthy of note. And I think they did explore the characters a lot, a lot better in many ways than The Next Generation did. And I think it's one of the reasons the Next Generation's movies don't work as well for me as well. There's, there's nowhere really to go with those characters straight after the series. It needs that 10-year gap that the original and the motion picture had for you to enable to do something different. That's where it really scores. It's not... Somebody said, right, that the reason Deep Space Nine is different and Voyage pressed the reset button every week was that Iris Stephen Burr didn't give a shit what Rick Berman thought. And Brannon Braga, who was running Voyager, felt he owed his career to Rick Berman. So one of them listens to Berman's edict that every episode should be standalone and you should be able to watch them in any order you want. And one of them went, fuck that noise, I'm going to do the show I want to make. And that's the difference between the two shows, bottom line. Now, anybody listening who joined us along the way uh, and, you know, wasn't here from day one, uh, just to give a, a little brief history of this show, was... Uh, in Two True Freaks, 
and on Back to the Bins, we've done what we've called uh, Assistant Editors Month, where we've had other people do our shows for a short period of time just to see how you know see how they play out and give us a little much needed uh, breathing time. Uh, and when Two True Freaks did its month of uh, Assistant Editors Month. Uh, I was talking to Sean and Andy one night, and I don't even remember what circumstances were that we happened to be in a conversation together, but we were talking, and I said, hey, how about if we did a DS9 episode, and the two of them kind of, you know, you could see, I could hear in their voices, they were scratching their heads, and they said, oh, we already decided we were going to do that, (laughs) (laughs) so... So when when uh, you know they they were kind enough to let me join them on the idea they had before I had it, uh, and that that is why if anybody listens to the early episodes uh, in the in the introduction it says now with 100% more Paul Spataro because the premise that we did on our our uh, assistant editors month we did the first episode when Worf came on uh, and we did it under the pretense that this had been an ongoing index show since episode one and that when uh when that season began uh the two of them allowed me to join their show that they had been doing uh so then and then once we did that that episode for fun and we actually did an episode of enterprise as well uh but when we did that for fun then when it was done we said hey how about we actually do this as a real show and we started from episode one and one of the things i really enjoyed doing was when we got to the point that we did that Worf joined the show we still we still recorded a new episode even though we had done that one and at the time I had put on the feed both both versions of it and I, I don't even I don't even recall if we said things that contradicted our initial opinions uh, but it was fun to go back and revisit the same show again well I thought we'd made the decision to not go back and listen to the original well, that's why I said I don't even know if, yeah, the, if we contradicted I ourselves. I don't remember. Uh, well, you don't listen to be, anything. I don't listen to anything I'm on unless, you know, I have to edit it. No. Why would you? Why would you listen to yourself? Ego. Oh, okay. <laughs> and the it's living not, planet. Quite, yeah, those are the only shows I listen to are the ones that I'm on. <laughs> it's, it's not ego of, hey, listen to me, I'm so great. It's ego of, hey, let me listen to this and make sure I didn't make a total douchebag of myself. <laughs> So, and and with this show in particular, by the time the the gap between recording and airing is so significant that by the time it's aired, I have no recollection of what we recorded. So it's like I'm listening to different people. Are they smart and intelligent people, or are they us? Well, you 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 guys are smart and intelligent. <laughs> that all depends on how Dave edits it. <laughs> all on Dave. Yep, I've got the power. <laughs> if Dave makes it sound good, that's all on Dave. We're paddlers if Dave makes us sound good. We sound good. Well, I, I would just like to thank you guys, too, because prior to this, my big podcasting experience was like the man on the street interview from Comic-Con. And uh, I'm kind of honored that you guys asked me to join the show with basically no experience. So. Well, you know, that's that's part of the thing about podcasting. Otherwise. One of the things about podcasting is it's a it's a no experience thing. Most people most people just say, "Oh, I'm going to do this," <laughs> despite our joking about interns and all. So, anybody else have any thoughts before we do our email? Uh, just one. I mean, I I appreciate being able to come in and do the editing and get the show out. Um, it's hard to deny that a lot of that drive is from Sean. 
we because at the end of every episode, every episode is dedicated to our pal Sean Engel. So it, it really did drive me, and it kind of helped structure my podcasting in a time when it was not structured, and uh, gave me time with friends. I mean, not just our recording, but when I wasn't there, I got to listen to the behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, so it was. It's this has actually been a gift. So thank you for allowing me to come aboard. You're welcome, and you're <laughs> and you're invited to edit all my shows if you want. <laughs> all right. Well, so let's take a look wait, at some wait, wait, email. Wait, 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 oh, wait. we have more to say. So Dave, when's that like Deep Space Nine that Listen to the Prophets outtake show coming out? <laughs> <laughs> that that I've been making payments to you not to post. Special six-hour program. You want you want the serious answer to that? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, remember what I had a laptop that I used to do the editing on, and luckily the main brunt of our material was backed up. But that laptop being dead, a lot of the outtakes and musical numbers that I was saving have been lost to the to the whims of a dead hard drive. I don't know if that's a real awe or because I had good material. I had blackmail material. Aw, what Aww. a shame. <laughs> Yeah, the stuff that you're never going to hear. Ever. <laughs> and uh, one last special thank you to Andy, because uh, I believe you came up with the majority or all of the little, maybe not the actual caption it went up, but you would find the pictures and, you know, create the little memes for the each of the, um, you know, the picture thingy. Yeah, the picture thingies for the show. Uh... <laughs> well, a lot of them, a lot of them just came up from the natural conversation of the episode. Um, you came up with a lot of the funny gags that were players on song titles. So credit where credit's due, department. Thank you. Oh, yep. Yeah. Okay, that's it. All right, so now we're going to take a look. We don't want anybody who has given us emails. <laughs> we don't want anyone who says anything negative. <laughs> no, we, we, don't, we don't want anybody who took the time to, to, to send us emails uh, to be, you know, given the, uh, the short end of the stick, and we want to provide them with an opportunity where we're going to read them and you know the only thing we won't get is uh is the very last uh you know the any input we get from this point forward which will be the last two episodes so we apologize to anybody who emailed us after this and certainly so, we're going to read them and, and be interested in what you have to say but they are not going to be read on the air so paul are you sharing a screen with us yes i just tried to do that did it work uh it well no. where are you pointing that camera Oh my god. Oh. Never mind. I was able to get in, so. It's the it's the biggest thing in podcasting. <laughs> but um, so that are, are, you, are, you, are you or are you just happy to see me? Yes, I can see you, your screen. Are you are you seeing the actual email? Yes. Okay. Yes, so I'm trying I'll to do, chase do, your I'm trying to chase your mouse with my mouse. It's very fun. It's fun. <laughs> I'm like, "Ooh, where where is he going to go? Where is he going to go now?" Ah, I'm over it. No, I can't um, see your screen. I'm like, "Part of Bill will be played by Alvin." Yes. <laughs> So the, our first email is from our friend Ben Tissum Tissum, the Spatula mm. Messiah, and he says, very "Listeners, boy. so as of this writing, you've just posted your episode about Tears of the Prophets, and that and that is it for season six. So we're going back. Our enti- entire season seven is covered in these emails. Minor point in response to the debate about whether Kira should be taking over the Defiant when Cisco goes down." Don't ask what it means that I know this, but Apocalypse Rising clearly establishes that Worf, not Kira, is the XO of the Defiant, except when writers forget or decide to change it. When thinking through the series, if I were presenting it to someone, I would just acknowledge the three inconsistencies once the Defiant is introduced. 
We'll now be seeing Starfleet's only warship off on. We'll now be seeing Starfleet's only warship go off on random non-war-related missions in the Alpha Quadrant, taking the entire senior staff and leaving the wormhole un, un, undefended. <laughs> I assume that that's just a typo and meant undefended, and leaving the viewer wondering who's running DS9 in the meantime. Morn, as Paul said, all of Trek is pretty much like that. Two. We'll be seeing the Defiant use its cloak without any Romulan monitoring, despite all the blather in the search about how the Romulans need to monitor everything. Three, Kira, who's not even a Federation citizen, is treated as a bridge officer and sometimes even the commander of Starship's only, Starfleet's only warship. This makes precisely no sense. We'll just pretend that she got special dispensation from Cisco, who keeps forgetting to check whether or not he actually has authority to do that. Okay, hypothetically new viewer, we're not going to harp on those points anyway, but they will remain inconsistencies for the rest of the series. That's just how it is. By the time you read this, you'll be close to the finished <laughs> finished of the series. Yes, we will, Ben. I hope you enjoy the way Season 7 DS9 has reached a point in which, even though most of the stories are self-contained, Trek plays almost every episode in some way builds on something that happens in the first six seasons. Not everything about the way DS9 finishes is perfect. Core characters tend to only be defined by their relationship to one or two people. And of course, the Prophets, Power Wraith's story gets reduced to stupid, good good and evil gods. But its, but it's constant ability to find new things, both epic and small, to do, build on this rich tapestry of what's come before, is what makes DS9 the most exciting and satisfying Trek series. Enjoy the moment in the finale, like 15 guest stars are listed in the opening credits, and everyone is someone whose name you always get excited to see. This has been a lot of fun. As Worf might put it, nice podcast. Best, Ben. <laughs> thank you, Ben, and thank you for being such a consistent contributor to the show. Uh, I think we've all appreciated your, your thoughts, and we're still still wondering what the spatula messiah means, but we'll, you know, we'll just work off that. I was told there'd be charts and graphs. <laughs> I just want to make a quick comment back to his point on number three about Kira not being a citizen but holding a rank. Now, my military service is somewhat out of date, but I do remember sometimes we would have joint uh, operations and stuff with other governments. So you would have you, – you could have someone from another government serving or another uh, armed forces you know, with a position in a joint – cooperative thing so it's really something that has gone on and you know i'm sure will happen in the future and it's probably happening right now so it's not that strange at least in my opinion i think he has a bigger point with the removing the key oh yeah that's <laughs> ship from everybody everybody get on the ship have fun wharf or no or, you know mourn everybody so garrick take over we have we have to guard the Panama Canal. We're going to take the one ship we got, <laughs> all the officers, and go stroll out into the Atlantic. Yep. Let's get the president in his cabin over here. Moving on to our next email. Anybody who wants to take the next one? I'll read it. From uh, Benjamin Perlman. Hello, gentlemen. I just listened to your latest episode, and it was great. I always enjoy listening to all your various opinions on the episodes. And can't believe that this is already the final season. I'm interested in what your next project will be, Toontrek. 
<laughs> Good plug. <clears throat> I wanted to put my two cents in on one of your topics of conversation from this episode. You mentioned that Worf was going on the mission to get Jadzia into Stovacor was selfish. Since for all we know, her version of heaven is her lying on a beach somewhere and not fighting for the rest of eternity while listening to Toon Trek. My thoughts, questions along those lines are which part of Jadzia Dax was the fan of Klingon culture? We know that Curzon Dax was very into it, but do we know if Jadzia, insert pre-joining last name here, was as well? No, I just checked and Memory Alpha says that it was after she was joined that she developed the interest in Klingon culture. I believe that since Jadzia was killed, but not Dax, the Jadzia in the afterlife was her pre-joined personality and had no real knowledge of the culture and martial arts. So by Worf getting a, her into Stovacor is really not a heaven for her. Looking forward to your thoughts, if any, on this. Looking forward to the next episode to be released. Thank you, Ben Perlman. Well, thank you, Ben, and you've made an excellent point here, and I tend to agree with you. I think that was a big mistake on their part. Let's see what everyone else has to say. I think we, we actually mentioned something to that effect when we were uh, recording it. You know, that, And I think that Ben is just uh, building on that point and, and probably articulating it better than we ever did. But yes, I totally agree. Yeah, I think I'm a little qualified to talk about something like this uh, comparative religion wise but it's it's my belief that it is the person that died their, their afterlife destination is a function of their beliefs so Worf can do whatever the heck he wants in his, his belief system it's not going to affect Jadzia's afterlife so it it could be said to, yes, it is just to make him feel better because it's not going to do anything to her at all. And apparently my dog agrees. <laughs> did, uh, I don't remember, I don't remember Ezri ever asking Worf, did you get Jadzia in the Stovacor? I don't think it was ever touched upon. At least I, don't I don't think, she, I think she avoided any talk of Jadzia That's whenever true. possible. She didn't avoid having sex with Worf. Oh, sorry. Would you? Oh, wait. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to. Never mind. A barbed penis somewhere, so I'll pass. Going to discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, ready to move on to the next one. And who's our next uh, reader? I happily read one, but I can't get in the email. I can't see your screen. So. Oh, it's this contract. Here it goes. Again. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, God, see, oh, it's it's it, it's an English screen. It's yeah, I can't it's, see. Yeah, it's it's that prima donna bullshit again that you have all come to expect. I am not coming out of my trailer unless I see that this contract for what I get paid for seven years of my life has been signed. Where's my bowl of green M&Ms, Robin said? <laughs> Do they make green M&Ms? Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. you're, you're just pretending you can't see it because this is a long email, aren't you? I can't. At least I cannot. I can't see your screen, and it will I not. I can't see the screen. Goddamn email, Scotty! All of a sudden, I can't lower the screens. Computer, it keeps saying, "Show, type in the text you see." So I type in that stupid squiggly thing they show us, and then it type the password in, and it just says, "Your password's no, not right." Look, look at the screen screen for Skype. It's just Skype screen. 
sharing. I'm looking at the Skype screen. I can't see anything. No, the. Uh, well, open your oh, oh, exit out of the chat, Amy. There'll be a button that says. Those black monitors with the green type on it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right, which where am I looking, Dev? It's an IBM 386. Shall we play a game? Thermonuclear war. <laughs> I said nuclear. Nuclear. Okay, Shag. Yeah, Shall I, I, I went down the Shag path. He's a bad Shall influence. Shall we have tea and crumpets? <laughs> Andy, don't talk into your mouse. <laughs> Ooh, computer. I'm not. I'm not saying anything. Tell me where I'm looking, and I'll I'll read your email. But I can't. Say hey, somehow thing. I picture you sitting in the chair with your monitor behind you, and I not see anything. <laughs> so I'm not actually lying to you. Is it, is it no oh, you now you're doing Kirk. <laughs> and it's a wing. Chair. I always tell the truth. I'm lying. So when you're looking at the Skype screen, Andy, what do you see? I see. Dave Blaine has said moonlighted. Okay. Go up above. There's a green button at the upper area that says go back to call or go to call. Join call. No. No. Absolutely. <laughs> Am I looking on the left or the right? <laughs> Let me try to go back because I... What do you mean? Don't hit call. the button that says lunch. <laughs> Some... <laughs> lunch. Somehow I've got the chat at the All side right, now. You know what? Let's let's move on from this email because okay. I see Blaine put in the chat that he's willing to read. <laughs> Thank you, Blaine, for being Andy's understudy today. <laughs> Oh, I'm going to do a Christian Bale meltdown in a minute. Well, la-dee-da. Good for you. That's my Christian Bale meltdown. All right. So, yeah, do you want me to read this email from Gus then? All right. So, email from Gus Shaw. Salutations, professional profiteers. I hope this reaches you before everyone abandons this inbox after you complete your entire run-through of DS9. The idea struck me while watching the episode Little Green Men, which characters on the station were pet-friendly, and what kinds of pets would they have? I had time for this idea to percolate while watching the next episode, Our Man Bashir. Unfortunately, I never got into the Bond-esque spy thrillers, which prevented the plot from holding my attention as much as it did for the hosts at the time. If this makes it to you in time for one of your recording sessions, I would be interested in your opinions on the topics on which Deep Space Nine characters should or should not have a pet. O'Brien seems like an obvious dog person to me. He even adopted the stray computer virus in season one. I can believe he would get a dog under the pretext that it was for Molly, the classic teacher-child responsibility by giving them a pet that will live for over a decade situation. Hamster cages still need to be cleaned, and if your child loses interest or isn't ready for the responsibility, they only live about two to three years anyway. Tangential rant complete. In the end, of course, Miles would be the one feeding, taking care of, and bonding with the dog, no matter how much he insisted that it was Molly's pet. Just curious, when Eddington overwrote the station's computers at the cruise transporter virus in our man Bashir, did he erase O'Brien's pet virus? Benjamin probably thinks that he is too busy to accommodate the responsibility of a pet. However, if one ended up in his life, he would take excellent care of it. It is very believable to me that Benjamin could earn loyalty of the dog. He strikes me as being demonstratively affectionate, while being able to set and maintain clear and consistent boundaries. I choose to believe that he could do that for a dog, even if he regularly fails to reinforce consequences with his subordinates. I haven't figured out if Jake would want a pet or not. But like his father, I think if he had to, he would give it his all. Kira would have no interest in a pet of any kind. It probably brings up painful memories of her worn, torn, refugee childhood and the time they had to eat the family pet to survive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, dude, that's a bit dark. I I totally disagree with that. She would have one of those barking f***ing rat dogs. That's what Kira would have. No, no, I'm going to say Kira's a cat person. 
Uh, and I'm not a cat person personally, but uh, I, I see her as having wanting a pet around, but wanting one that she doesn't have to give a lot of attention to. And cats are if like she, defined she that, that way. If yes, she did, it would be one of those hairless cats. Maybe, maybe the uh, the sphinx cats. Yeah, I would see Cisco as the cat person because that way he says, "Well, yeah, I don't have a lot of time with it." And Kira, if Kira doesn't have a lot of room in her life for anything that doesn't have a utility or a practical effect, so if anything, if she had a pet, it would have been during the occupation and it would have been yeah, a Rottweiler or something else that could be attackable. Or maybe she'd have a chicken because she could never get the eggs. <laughs> Well, there would have to be cats on Deep Space Nine, because everywhere we have ever gone as a race, we've took rats with us. So there would have to be something to keep the rats in check. So I quite like the idea. Well, unless the Tribbles do it. Morn would have a turtle. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Before we get into other characters, let's keep reading, because we're about halfway through the email. Chadzia seems like the type who would like playing with small animals, but would rather let someone, anyone else, do the actual feeding and cleaning, etc., Julian, especially in the early seasons, strikes me as too pretentious for a normal pet. He would insist on something exotic and extravagant. The space equivalent of teaching a parrot to speak ancient Mayan, training a falcon to fly through flaming hoops, or having a monkey that can juggle while riding a unicycle. Something with a grandiose flair. In Little Green Men, when Rom told Quark, I think that dog likes you, brother, I was expecting Quark to grumble and complain. After all, nature is just exploitable resources to him. Quark would have no desire for a pet. He's already suffering through financial loss keeping Rom around. Rom would probably say he doesn't have enough time for a pet. He's already taking care of Quark. Nog wants whatever kind of pet will make him more desirable to the females. Worf would only want a true Klingon pet, which are far too dangerous to have around weaker species. Garrick doesn't need a pet. He has his enemies to play with. I had the most trouble deciding about Odo. If asked, he would obviously say he doesn't want a pet. At first, I thought maybe if a stray dog followed him around enough, he would eventually adopt it. I eventually decided that if anyone decides to claim Odo as his her person, it would be a cat. Probably the kind of cat that avoids all other humanoids on the station, and probably even snarls at, claws, and bites anyone who gets too close. But it would probably follow Odo into his office, jump on the desk, and start purring, or glare at him until he replicated the can of tuna. It would first annoy Odo by ignoring his attempts to shoo it away. Odo could turn into a dog to chase it away, or that cat could just rub against his leg and purr. Over time, Odo would wear down, especially if he found it sitting in the rafters staring down at Quark, making him uncomfortable. Then, when no one is around to see, Odo would turn into another cat and sit next to his cat friend, staring out the portal and swishing their tails like cats do. Lastly, I think Morn would have a very relaxed, low-maintenance pet. I haven't decided yet between a fish tank or an ant farm. Just something he could enjoy quietly after a long, hard day running his freight business, or whatever it was he did when he wasn't at Quark's bar. Sorry for the lengthy message. Cheers, Gus. That's a pretty cool, cool, cool email. Goes through everybody. Uh, I don't know why I was seeing Odo with a fish tank, because then I thought, like, you know, periodically he might change into something where he could go in the tank himself uh, and and interact with his pet. Who else was there that I had specific thoughts? Yeah, I like the idea that Jul- Julian would want something pretentious. I'm picturing him with like a peacock or something, or a snake. I picture Julian with a snake. Yeah, and I picture Julian with uh, a pet that is not native to the home worlds of any species that resides on Deep Space Nine, so it's just that much more special. <laughs> so it's not like others come in and go, oh, you have one of these. Julian would want the pet where people come in and go, what the hell is that? This is my elephant. <laughs> <laughs> Oliphant. Timothy Oliphant? No, he would have Timothy Oliphant. Yeah, he would have Timmy Ol- Timothy Oliphant. Uh, Timmy. Timmy Oliphant is a, is a pet. Wearing an elephant just, costume. Yeah. 
Just going off on a total tangent. I want. Did, now did I want see, Tim. Did you see what uh, Timothy Oliphant did for Christmas? Wait, what? Did anybody see that? <laughs> no. there's, there's another actor who apparently looks very, very similar mm. to Timothy. Yeah, Eric Dane. Uh, no, that's not the name. <laughs> oh, I don't know. What, Jupiter's Legacy. I don't know what it is. But there's there's another actor who he's he's constantly being compared to, and he had never met the guy before. But they were at some sort of charity thing, and they were both there, and they finally met, and they both said to each other, you know, I'm always told I look like you, blah blah blah, and they they kind of got along. Uh, and then before they left, he said, oh, my family wants to take a picture with you. So the other actor took a picture with Timothy Oliphant's wife and three kids. <laughs> and at Christmas, they took that picture and sent it out as their Christmas card. And the way Timothy Oliphant told the story, his mother didn't know it wasn't him. Wow. <laughs> Josh Duhamel, who used to be married to that's Fergie. That's who it is. Yeah. That's who it is. But that's, I, I just thought that was such a cool story. And they showed a picture of the Christmas card. on. He, he was on Conan O'Brien. They showed a picture of the Christmas card. Okay, Paul, you took us on this tangent. You get us back. Back on track. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I, see, I see I see Garrick with some sort of crawling thing that kind of sits on his shoulders that looks virtually uh, innocent. But if you, like, put your finger near it, it'll bite it off your hand. What was what were the creatures that Thrawn had? Admiral Thrawn. Oh, you the summit. Yes. Yeah. That's a Garrick pet. Well, Garrick had a pet in the uh, in uh, the book about his life when he went to the school for the Obsidian Order. He did find a pet and kept it, and actually taught him how to be stealthy and everything because of the way uh, the way he interacted with the environment. Oh, Bill, remember Garrick, when you were I, doing that book? Yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask how that, how, how's kitchen time going? I, I finished it. Uh, okay, just, good to know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it got kind of slow. At the end, kind of like, oh, man. But overall, it was good. See, I go back to, I do see uh, Ben with a with a dog, just because I think that loyalty factor would be big, but I see Jake having to take care of it. That makes sense. <laughs> and we know that O'Brien ended up with a cat, not that it showed up after that episode. Tilby's cat, right? Yeah. Tilby. Nog wants whatever pet will make him more desirable to females. I definitely see that. He would go for something that, you know, that... People would look at it and go, ah. So, he would uh, do all kinds of research, and he'd, he'd be that conspiracy guy with the, the string and the pushpins and everything. Okay, what is what is the most desirable pet to attract? <laughs> you know, like, no, but no, would, would he have the pet that would be most likely to be viewed as cute by females and therefore start conversations, or? Would he want the pet that's going to emit some sort of pheromone that's going to make them, uh, you know, more more likely to want to be with him? Ideally, both. Win win. He he would get Julian in on this, and they they would uh, create something. Well, we know what kind of pet No Ferengi would have, and that would be a parrot. Yeah. <laughs> ah, my ears. Okay, moving on to our next one. Is anyone going to take this one? We know it's not going to be Andy. <laughs> I'll happily do. Would you want to make it up? I'll make uh, yeah, it. You know what? Up. I'm going to make. You, I'm going to make you do this one. I can't Uh-oh. see the screen. Okay. You're going to do this one whether you like it or not. <laughs> okay. Hold on. There you go, Andy. Yay! I'm going for <laughs> shit. My God, it's a novel. No, it's not as long as it looks like. Yeah, it That's is. Read it. <laughs> Read it, monkey. <laughs> All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Our next email was from Chip Mullins Jr. Uh, October 27th, 2020. So it's it's almost exactly a year ago. 
Hi guys, I know I'm behind the curve with this email, not as behind as we are in answering it, as you all just put out Take Me Out to the Hollow Suites, and by the time you read this, you'll almost be done with the series. Well, almost, yep. Jadzia's death and Ezra. I was sad to see Jadzia killed as she was a strong and fun, wild character, as well as married to Worf. Season 7, delving into Worf's anger and subsequent emotional conflict for Ezra was really great. Till death do us part for Christian weddings would have been a whole new meaning if the life experience and emotions of your spouse were essentially still physically in someone else. Oh God, that means she they could still nag at you even after the, from the grave. <laughs> My God, I didn't even think about that. As for Ezra, I really didn't care for a new character to be introduced. You all mentioned after him it should have been Dax's exit from the show and it would have been fine. Also, I'm pretty sure Trill officials would probably have taken her back to Trill for who knows how long to help adequately adjust to having the symbiote. Season 7 feels like it wastes a lot of episodes catching us up on who Ezri is when the other characters had seven seasons or more from the next generation. Lastly, for this topic, I was curious if the Trill government would recall all symbiote Trills serving in Starfleet because of the war. Of course, there is danger everywhere and starships get destroyed all the time in Star Trek. But a defined war... Also, one in which the Federation is in danger of losing? This would seem like an unacceptable risk to symbiotes, in my opinion. Oh, I hadn't really considered that. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe they would, yeah. Want to keep the race going. They'd, they'd be like, no, nah, we don't want to get involved in your war. The season 7 opener, I had no problem with Cisco being conceived, or whatever, by the prophets, until you all mentioned his mother basically had been possessed. I thought Sura was a prophet manifested in human form. And Sura woke up married and with a baby i'm surprised she didn't have cisco's father arrested for kidnapping sexual assault and god knows what else i also like cisco being drawn to the orb of the emissary just having kind of a mystical storyline that star trek doesn't do for other characters one real life failure of this series though i feel like as the emissary of the prophets cisco's time would be consumed like any religious leader's time by the congregation of that belief the bajorans would be mobbing him constantly but we only saw a little bit of that didn't we that whenever they would visit the station, they all wanted time with the, the prophet, the emissary, sorry. Yeah, only when he denied being the emissary, and then once he accepted the role, that ended and just kind of went away. They kind of were just like, oh, well, he's fine now, we'll just leave him. Uh, then, then, then the old lady would come out and go, no, no, go away, go away, he's not the messiah. He's a very naughty boy. He's a very naughty station commander. Lastly. Take me out to the Holly Suite. Sorry, Paul, but I have to disagree with you a lot on this one. Baseball is one of the most boring sports. The last game I went to in person was a Washington Nationals home game, and I couldn't tell you they played or who won. I was hanging out with my fraternity brothers for an alumni event, and I was socialising with them the whole time. Any other sport, I would have been paying attention. All Star Trek requires some suspension of disbelief, but I can't get past it in this episode. You have a physically superior species who has also been practicing going essentially against a little league team. Jake must be the best pitcher in history because every hit would have been a home run or fielded so badly it would have been an inside the park home run. The Vulcan pitcher, being four times as strong as a human, would be throwing at insane speeds, presumably, and the Niners would have never hit the ball, other than maybe either Cisco, who at least had some experience. That aside, though, the episode has genuinely funny and heartwarming moments when the team comes together, as you all pointed out. Not on my must-watch of the series, though. Is Paul going to counterpoint that he disagreed vehemently? Evidently not. That, that means he... I, actually, I was on mute. I was trying... I was <laughs> screaming and trying to disagree. Uh, <laughs> I, I do disagree seriously. You know, it's funny. I, I was... Uh, 
I was I, I was talking to John and Mag- Maggie Schaefer Hames about baseball this week as their Milwaukee Brewers played my New York Mets, and uh, the conversation got to uh, you know how people say baseball is boring, and my response to that is baseball is boring for people who don't want to invest the mental energy into the game to understand its subtleties and just enjoy every aspect of it. People who who don't enjoy baseball as a sport, who are otherwise sport fans, I think just want fast-moving people, and baseball is not that. So What was happening? Just not a cup of tea. I, I nodded off. What I miss? <laughs> that's, that's the same for any any sport, though, isn't it? If you're invested in it, it's great, and if you're not, it's dull. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what? Put 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 golf on your TV. When I used to play golf, I used to love watching it because I would watch how how they would hit the ball and how they'd line up and all sorts of things just to see if I could pick up tips on how to play. As soon as I stopped playing, it became boring again. <laughs> yeah, well, there are apparently people who find tennis boring. I don't understand those people, but whatever. Episodes aside, here are just a couple of thoughts on Picard and Lower Decks, which I assume you will all have talked about at this point. Uh, I don't know that we did. We made A little, yes. Picard, I liked the series until the last episode. Making an Android just pissed me off. And I, Oh, spoilers, in case you don't watch Picard. Sorry, I was just reading the email. I, I am absolved of all guilt. Don't worry, I don't watch Picard, Picard, we've Picard anyway. you. Yes. I don't understand how that's supposed to work with a physically aging actor. I understand these shows are out to make money and multiple seasons are a way of doing that, but I thought how Picard died was perfect and eloquent. One favourite of the season was Seven of Nine taking over the Borg Cube. I really thought she was going to be seduced by the dark side and start her own collective. I also like the dive into Romulan culture and seeing Hugh again. Some really sad moments too with Icheb, was that his name? And Hugh. I like the people who looked after Picard's vineyard when Picard wasn't there. I like yeah. those two. I, lo- I love an Irish Romulan. <laughs> well, you like some Romulan ale, so I will. I don't know what that accent was. Lower Decks, I love this series, oh dear. As a well-versed Star Trek fan, but not as much as you guys, especially with regards to the original series, a lot of Easter eggs and in-universe references were fun, so although I've read that is one of the criticisms of the show also, that if you don't know Star Trek, you won't get most of the jokes. I watched some of these episodes multiple times, and there's always more to spot because there are so many Easter eggs. One of the funniest parts of the show to me was Jax, always wanting to shoot something or blow it up. So basically she was Fiona from Burn Notice. Please let me shoot the warp engines, and I've been really good this month. Opinion is is divided on lower decks. I thought it was fine. I didn't take it too seriously. I own it because I have to have all the Star Treks. I also own it, and I will say that um, lower decks is probably the best of the CBS All Access shows. (laughs) That's very good. How good that is is highly it's highly. uh, Well, you know what? I would have to agree with you. Uh, it's kind of like would... saying that was the best kick in the balls I ever got. <laughs> yeah. It's... My problem with Lower Decks for a comedy is I didn't find it funny. So, you know. That would be that a big problem. Do you, yeah. you generally require humor in your comedy? I, I think that's a prerequisite for a comedy as a rule. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, a lot of the comedy didn't didn't really work for me, but they actually did more character work, and it seemed like, I don't know, it... Some parts of it worked. Other parts, like, is it really Star Trek to finish by having two of your characters steal a couple hundred of the new tricorders from another show? Like, it, it, it's not in the Star Trek ethos, but it, it has its moments. Its send up of the movies was well done. So yeah, it's even though it is hit and miss, 
it has more hits than anything else CBS has produced. The animation was nice. Mm-hmm. It, it grew on me as I went through the season, which we've discussed it. In the yeah, but you can normally have them removed medically. <laughs> or bleach, like mold. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Well, well, looking to add a Star Trek podcast to their, their listening, the pod directive with the official Star Trek podcast is co-hosted by Paul F. Tompkins and Tony Newsom, and Tony Newsom is one of the Lower Deck stars. Yeah, she is. And that is actually, um, I think this is CBS's second attempt at an official Star Trek podcast, and I think it's much more successful than the first. They should just make us the official star. Oh, never mind. <laughs> that ship has sailed. If there's a salary in it, I'm there. Thanks for your time, gents. Sorry I missed any letter T's. My four-year-old son recently got a hold of my keyboard and several keys are messed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I tried to proofread the email for them. Cheers, Chip. Uh, well, I didn't notice any T's missing, Chip. I mean, there does seem to be a bit where your your son took over, where you say you love lower decks. I'm just going to blame that on him. <laughs> Andy didn't notice any missing T's, but then Andy's uh, at a country that's kind of butchered the language anyway, so don't worry about it. Yeah, he sure noticed some missing U's. Hey, the British know their T's. you got to give them that. <laughs> We know Way more use. than their coffees, anyway. Don't they have a tea setting on the microwave? No, we do not have a <laughs> tea setting on a fucking microwave. And no, Andy just stands in front of the microwave. Out. Andy just stands in front of the microwave and asks for Earl Grey hot. <laughs> and, and he's not leaving until he gives it to him. I just wanted to poke the bear. It made me so happy. <laughs> God. I'll pick up Andy's slack and take the next couple because they're shorter. Slack? No, was no. Was I was going to take... I was going to take the next one because it was so long, and we didn't want Andy to be a, you know, to feel he was getting shortchanged. Let's let's well, pretend that Andy shot. volunteered to do that last one, right? <laughs> yeah, you fix that in the. I can't see it. I can't see it. <laughs> oh, no, blimey! It's not on my screen. Oh, la dee da. Good for you. <laughs> I love that rap by Christian. Have you ever seen that Christian Bale meltdown? It's the best thing he's ever been in. Is that the one from uh, Terminator? Yeah, where he like he realizes, yeah. oh shit, I'm doing a Terminator movie. What has happened to my career? It's brilliant. You're a nice guy, but we're done professionally. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who's got the next one? I just said I was going to do the next two. Go, Dave, yep. go. So the next one is from Mike Campbell. Subject line is simply thanks with an exclamation point. So it's thanks. Kapla. Nobody, no other kaplas. Come on. Kapla. I'm waiting for the end. Okay. Kapla. So Mike writes, thank you guys so much for the time, effort, and passion you've devoted to the podcast. It's been a constant companion through my DS9 watch. Your humor, insight, and knowledge have added to my enjoyment of every episode. Hope you'll consider continuing a podcast with another series, Quantum Leap, Magnum, TNG, Trek Movies. I'd love to join you guys on another journey. Kapla! Mike Campbell. Kapla! Kapla! Well, yeah, as we've already pointed out, the, the animated series is up next. We've already recorded half of it, I think. Uh, not quite half, but yeah. But yeah, Magnum I kind of was one of the ones I threw out, but you know. I'm on board. Yeah, but you'd have to acknowledge that there's a new hey, Magnum. No, <laughs> I don't have to acknowledge that. I don't have to acknowledge that at all. No, why, why do I? Yeah, why would I have to acknowledge that? <laughs> I quite like the new one. Sorry. I honestly don't know. I've never watched it. Me neither. It's not the old one. to do Magnum without a mustache? Well, it's got it's got Higgins and she's cute. <laughs> that is such a weird phrase. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So our is next she one. actually English? Yeah, that's a good Finish question. Finish weeks, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, not like, because, you know. As opposed to John Hilleman, who was Texan. Yeah. That's what I on the guy. Yeah, yeah, well done. Well done, John Hilleman. 
did the English accent better than you. Yeah, well, you know, I'm from the north. We don't really have an accent. Compared to what? <laughs> Other northerners. Yeah. People. Know. I am considered quite pale, shall have you know. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got this bridge in London I want to sell you if you buy it. Now. Don't you mean Londinium? Londinium, that's where Lord Fogg lives. <laughs> So I don't know, do we read Fate's email? Because that was a response, as I look at it now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, come on, yeah. I'm walking here. <laughs> I don't understand what accent that he just did. I don't no understand But every time, every time Paul goes into I'm his Goodfellas accent, I just hear I'm walking here. I have never even know. seen that film. What Goodfellas accent? <laughs> <laughs> you just there it is again. so Goodfellas. <laughs> I love it. I love when you go all good, fellas. Am I funny? My funny. That's just, his, funny. That's just his speech. That's not. He's not. That's just I Paul. Do, I had no idea I was doing good, fellas. <laughs> it's my favorite thing about doing this. You suddenly go all good, fellas. It's Brett. Okay. I'll just take. Laugh. You think I'm some type I don't, of. Clown. I don't know what what's so f***ing funny about me. <laughs> oh, there's another bleep. How many F words have we dropped? Well, it doesn't matter at the end. What are they going to do? Kick us off iTunes? <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I heard Andy say it, so I wouldn't have done it if I didn't read No, we usually get one, and usually Andy is at minimum Sorry. one. Yeah. The British guy, the proper British guy, is the one that's dropping the F-bombs. Look, I'm old enough. I've earned the right. You're not swearing, mate. You're 11. <laughs> <laughs> so our next quick email is from Faith Gilliam, and it's congrats and questions about future. Faith writes, good day, Niners. Just wanted to pop in and let you know that I still love this podcast as much as ever. Fantastic material and discussion, as always. Cheers, Faith. Yes. Well, Faith is one of our constants. We have Faith. We have uh, Tissum Tissum. We have Ben. Who else am I missing as far as the... Tissum Tissum is Tissum Tissum. Well, there's, there's a different Ben, though. No, there's another Ben. Yeah, there's oh, two Bens. Right. Ben yes. Perlman. Perlman that we read from earlier really today. I thought Ben uh, Perlman is Tissum Tissum. No. No, I don't think... No, I think they're two completely separate entities. And... Isn't Gus, uh, uh, I think he's done, sent in more than one, Mr. Shaw. It's, it's Gus Grissom. Gus mm. Grissom. Uh. <laughs> okay. And of course, Blaine, who's present here. Uh, you know, Ooh. sometimes I, oh. <laughs> sometimes a podcast is like a starship. It only works with a large crew to keep us going. And the constant emailers, the support, that is the, that is the crew. We may be the bridge crew here, but you guys support it every much, every bit as we do. Yeah, I love I love getting regular emails from people. I mean, it's nice to know that people actually listen for a start. Oh, uh, you want me to do this next one? Andy sure. might be interested in this one. Listen to the prophets is the subject line from Dustin Neely. Hi guys, I've been listening to your DS9 podcast for a couple years now, but this is my first time contacting you. Well, hello, first time contactor. We are closing in on the end of, of the series as I write this with It's Only a Paper Moon being your most recent review. Anyway, I hope you guys do another series after this, which we are. Listen. Tune track. Tune track. <laughs> you, I should just put the cha-ching sound in there. Cha-ching. <laughs> you guys already covered Firefly, which I am now going to make Ben go back and listen to and watch. Would you consider doing Farscape? Oh, yes. But Nathaniel Wayne is currently doing Farscape. Yes, uh, the What the Frell podcast. Yeah, and they're I doing a great job with it. So if we were going to do Farscape, we'd want a little bit of time. 
I started to do a rewatch of the first season and then it was kind of dragging and I fell off. But uh, I know I remember it gets better towards the end. And, and actually, I have the entire series on DVD. So can I can uh, I jump in? Uh, I'm sure. just curious. I, I thought you guys said you knew what you were doing next, but if you're looking for solicitations, I I, I have some ideas too. So well, let me know. Well, we don't what know we what do? we're doing after Toon Trek. <laughs> right. But we know what we're doing you, after Listen to the Prophets. I think in season three or four, you said you were going to do Moonlighting down the road. <laughs> nice try. Move along, <laughs> Scott, ah. Scott, you already found yourself on probation, uh, probation for soliciting. Be very careful here. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the emailers knew what we were doing next, because we haven't officially... We literally, this is no. the announcement. All right. <laughs> Well, what, let me just finish this, and then Scott can give us his solicitations. Solicitations. <clears throat> yes, I can only find three Farscape podcasts, and they all suck. But this is from January. <laughs> this is from January 2021, so I don't know if uh, Nathaniel's was out then. I would love to hear you guys cover this excellent series. Thanks, Dustin in Toledo, Ohio. Hey, that's where my daughter graduated college and has friends and lives up there now. So hopefully you're not dating her. Reminds me of Leslie Nielsen when he's he's at the piano and and so where are you from Toledo Hey that's where I'm from too Where are you from yeah. Vegas Hey that's where I'm from too No matter what city they say So Scott what's your solicitation Ooh. <laughs> You know on a date well, and, well Andy had said something earlier about uh, you know DS9 uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how he says something about you know being the best show for you know, building on itself and, you know, the continuing arc type of thing, uh, you know, in those latter seasons, you know, with the with the war and all of that. Um, and, and I really enjoyed that aspect of it, you know, that it wasn't your typical, you know, one and done episodes that it did build and everything. But I would argue that there is a Star Trek show that did it even better than that uh, with Enterprise. I think the, the third and fourth seasons of Enterprise especially that third season, that might be some of the best Trek we ever got. Uh, and I myself have been itching for a long time to do Enterprise. So if you guys were, were ever inter- interested in doing Enterprise, I would be totally down for that. I, you know, I, Scott... I, I, come on. I was just going to say, Scott and I could hook up and do Enterprise, if you guys aren't interested. It's been a long road. I, I really grew to like Enterprise. I, originally, I was very... Uh, on it because like the whole prequel nature i'm never a fan of prequels at all and it really sticks in my craw ever so slightly even though i know it doesn't matter that there is no nx01 on the wall in star trek the motion picture or when picard smashes all his little toys so it kind of bugged me for a little bit but then i i actually got into it on netflix and i watched all of it and i ended up really enjoying seasons Mm -hmm. three and four yeah i didn't like it when it was airing but i I got into it after the fact and really liked it which is a real shame, because if we'd liked it when it was airing, maybe it wouldn't have got cancelled. See, I liked it when it was airing, because, well, I've, I've always liked uh, Scott Bakula, and I liked uh, To Boobs. I mean, To Paul. <laughs> I, everybody likes I To Boobs. I made the same mistake with Enterprise that I made with Voyager. So I started watching Voyager when it when it debuted on, you know, what was that, CPN or whatever, and was watching it faithfully and, and just going, God, this sucks. When is it going to get good? And then I bailed right when it got good. I bailed with the episode where uh, where Seven comes in, which is when the series suddenly takes a turn and it gets good. 
and I did the same thing with Enterprise. I watched the I slogged through the first two seasons, and when the the second season ended, I was like, "All right, I'm done. This this just isn't getting good." And that's right when that series gets good. So you know, going back years later and doing a complete Trek watch through and and seeing those last two seasons for the very first time, I was like, "Oh my God, why didn't I stick with it? It was so good." And then I felt really bad that it never got. You know it, that it got canceled at the end of the fourth. Never got at least one more season, and I felt like I contributed to that because I bailed on it. I think a lot of people did. It's it's such a shame because that show is really finally hitting its stride right when they pulled the plug. It's it's such a shame. So yeah, I've, yeah. Have you have you heard what they planned for doing for season five? Uh, I've heard a lot of it, and my understanding is that the the novels, the continuation novels, have have mined that quite a bit. Um, I've started reading those. I haven't made it very far, but the the first, the very first continuation novel is really, really good. Um, mostly for the fact that it it retcons probably the biggest mistake they made with the final episode, which I don't want to <laughs> spoil it for anybody. So oh, I don't no. say what it is. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it does. Uh, it gets rid of that because that last episode pretty sucks. But yeah, they were going to do the Romulan War, and you're like, yeah. and you stop yeah. before you did this. And it's like, yep, it's such a shame exactly. when you watch all the special features on like the DVDs and stuff where they go, we just had a complete change in managership at UPN and we suddenly got people in who just didn't know what they had. They, was, they were asking them, well, can you not put a band on every week in the bar? And they just were looking at them going, you, you do know what show we are, right? Yeah, well, Buffy has a <laughs> band on every week and, and so does Charmed. Can we not do that? And you just had the producers just going, oh, for God. So they knew they'd lost the support within the network once they were starting to get questions like that, which is such a shame. Because, yeah, by the time yeah. we enter seasons three and four, that show was really good. Yeah, yeah it was. But, I, but, I mean, as as a complete arc, you know, that entire third season is, is one... It's Essentially, it's one arc. It's one... Uh, yeah, there's Zindi, is that the Zindi stuff. Or yeah. Past the Zindi. yeah. They and, forgot all about Future Guy, though, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they did kind of forget it. Yeah, because I don't think they ever did reveal who that who that was. No, they wrapped up the temporal Cold War very abruptly because fans weren't responding. But yeah, I think that it was Florida man. Yeah, I think that season (laughs) three was probably the longest single story in Star Trek history. I mean, even Discovery's they'll have like thirteen parters, but with Enterprise it was what from the season two finale it finished up three or four episodes into season. Four? Season four, yeah. So they ended up doing like what thirty yeah. episodes, something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. And there's only, to my, to my opinion anyway, there's only one clunker in that whole thing. I mean, the whole thing flows and it's really good and it builds on itself to a very uh, exciting climax and uh, uh, just a hell of a good uh, uh, cliffhanger as well. So yeah, it's it's a really really solid season. I would be in for Enterprise. I enjoyed that program. We, we'll talk. We'll do a tune trick and then we'll talk. So here's where I have to eat crow because I just want to be honest with the listeners. You're going to eat somebody's soul? What's wrong <laughs> with you? Crow, what? Anyway. Crow. movie? <laughs> oh, got it. No, uh, <laughs> I like Penny, the pretty lights. Uh, Penny drop. Um... <laughs> Uh, for for a long time, I've I've may have allegedly badmouthed Voyager on this show, and yet when I started watching Voyager because I got it cheap for my birthday, I've actually grown to enjoy it. It has its merits. There it is. 
I'm watching it from the beginning on Netflix now, and I'm just in the middle of season two. And whilst I will admit I am enjoying it, God, there's some mediocre episodes towards the back end of season one and the beginning of season two, dude. They're like they're on a run of shows Hang- though that are just so boring. Yeah, but Hang right. with it's it, you know, the, Once you get to where they finally get out of uh, what, what were the fake Klingon people? K- Kazon. Kazon. Oh, the Kazon. Kazon. Yeah. Once they finally get out of Kazon space, it starts to get better. But you you really you have to have some patience because where it really where it turns because it does turn a very sharp corner and into suddenly it's like oh this actually got really good um, is Scorpion which was a mm-hmm. two parter I want to say it's the end of the third start of the fourth I think or maybe yes. end of the fourth start of the fifth something like no, that it, it's three four yeah yeah three four okay yeah. That that's epic. I mean, that two-parter is it's some really good shit, man. Yeah, see, I've never watched it from beginning to end before. I have only ever watched like what they call the roadmaps of all the good ones. And watch, you, you kind of get a skewed picture of it when you do that. I mean, you yeah. do get to see the good ones and not the boring ones. I mean, I do. Sorry, I do turn off whenever an episode begins with Chakotay, and of God, no, <laughs> is he the most boring character to ever be in Star Trek? Maybe. Uh, I don't know about that, but I think he was the one of the most mishandled is the problem with him because it's, it's like they, you know, he had a lot of potential, I think, but it's like they didn't know what to do with him because they keep playing around. Because I was I was reminded of this recently because I, I recently, <clears throat> pardon me, rewatched um, Scorpion and in the beginning of Scorpion, there's a lot of footsies going on between him and Janeway, and I'd completely forgotten that they were doing that for a long time. They were doing, they were trying to do the whole moonlighting thing, and once Seven comes in, that completely goes away, and they tried doing that with those two characters for a while, and it never really took off. And my understanding, and I, I could be dead wrong about this, but I, I, I remember reading different things about it, is a lot of the problem with that character was the actor himself. He he hated being on the show, he hated Star Trek, and he just wasn't really into it, but he was contractually obligated, so you know they it's kept him around. They couldn't just write him <laughs> off, you know? Yeah, well, see, they could have they killed him. Killing him would have been brilliant. And then promote everyone else. Because, yeah, it, you don't want to sh- say that it shows through in his performance. Because that kind of implies that he can't be professional. But he doesn't seem like he wants to be there. Even when he gets a right. mighty role, his line deliveries are so boring. Ensign right. Kim could have finally moved up in rank. Yeah, Ensign Kim could have finally got a promotion. Poor guy. Yeah, and yeah, Robbie Beltran is not... Uh, he wasn't a good representation of the show. I remember uh, a bit of a, a reaction because it was the show was only in about season two or three, and he was asked at a con why he thought that the series did not have the same ratings that Next Gen had. And instead of going the very reasonable route of saying, "Well, that was syndicated to more markets, we were on a, a fledgling network, and we're not expecting the same ratings," his response was, "Because we have the worst writing staff in Star Trek history." <laughs> So wow. the writers were not. He was honest. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I'm, at that point, I wasn't a fan of Voyager. Honestly, I gave up on it during season one in the first run, and I have since rewatched it on Netflix all the way through. I will say Scott was right. There is a bit of a turning point in that season three four bridge 
it starts to figure itself out in season four and seasons five and six are genuinely really good Star Trek. Yeah. And then season five, season five is an episode called author author, which I think is the perfect microcosm of the entire series where like the first three sevenths of that episode are like a badly written after school special. And then the next part is the next like three sevenths are really, really good. And then the last bit, it contradicts what we've seen before just to wrap it all up in a nice neat package. That's like the whole series. In one episode. To me, that series just is incredibly inconsistent. Uh, there were some really good episodes. You know, Scott mentioned Scorpion, which was definitely good. A Year in Hell was, was a good episode, a really good episode that they wanted to make yeah. a whole season out of. Yeah, Brian and Braga uh, wanted that to be an entire season and Britt Burma wouldn't let him. And then they, you know, they did a couple of movie, you know, movie length ones and whatever that, you know, they, they, they definitely had something there. But every once in a while, they'd intersperse one that just was, to me, just was boring and, and inconsequential, and, and I just didn't care. Um, and 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 I, I do think it had the weakest ensemble of any of the sh- of any of the series, uh, and and that's a lot. That's I, largely due to Chakotay. I think he, you know he was. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that's one of the things I always thought the found most ironic about Voyager is I completely agree with you. One of the weakest cast, yet one of the strongest characters, which was. Uh, uh, Oh God! Now I'm gonna blank. Tim Russ. Uh, yeah. Tuvok. Oh, Tuvok. Tuvok was awesome. But he the rest. Of the I, I didn't really yeah, care for Paris. Uh, Neelix, I thought was annoying. Uh, you know, I, I just it, it it didn't grab me. It did had moments. It definitely had its moments. The, if you listen to Delta Flyers, which is a podcast Robert Duncan McNeil does with Garrett Wang, they actually talk about essentially the same thing we're talking about here. You'll have Robert Duncan McNeil go, look, they finally gave me something to do, and then I never do it again. (laughs) So the actors are generally as frustrated. But I did like that the writers are now starting to open up a bit, because it's 20 years down the line. They're not going to get fired now. And they have addressed some of the stuff that Beltran said. And some of them have said, look, when you create a Star Trek show, you create the the characters as thinly sketched. And then the actors can bring what they want to it, because it lets the actor play with the character they're given it lets the actor give something to do and then we'll see that on the show and we'll write more to it same thing happened with Nimoy same thing happened in Voyager with Robert Picardo and they said but Beltran didn't give us anything we would give him lines and he would just deliver them as flat and dead and not do anything with it and it's like he's not giving us anything for us as writers to pick up on to be able to embed into future scripts where he said Picardo Picardo was giving us gold every week he Mm -hmm. he had one scene he was giving us something that we looked at it and could we can expand on that and there's a give and take in Star Trek that he wasn't giving them anything so they argued back that it's not that we were the worst writing staff it's that we had an actor who wasn't giving us anything other than flat delivery I think he misread his character to some extent I think he tried to present uh, Chakotay as stoic and, and stoic on the screen came out as boring, dull. Yeah. Well, I, I think they mishandled a lot of it. There should have been more conflict bringing the Federation and Maki crews together. Oh, if you actually oh, yeah. check the work curve that they published in Star Trek The Next Generation and compare it to how fast they say the ship can go in the pilot and to the actual size of the galaxy, they could have done the circumference of the galaxy in 18 months. Like, <laughs> they... The 75 years from home thing, I think that was a mistake. I think the caretaker should have blasted them to a completely different galaxy because Starfleet ships don't work between galaxies. And then you can have the conflict of 
do we try to find a super science way to get home or do we just set up a colony and park here mm-hmm. and have well, I, debates I about watched, that because you don't have I just watched on. the 37s and at the end of that one the, the Belter and Chakota and Janeway are having this big hand-wringing conversation about what do we do if some members of the crew want to stay here on this idyllic planet that made me laugh when they said we're going to go to the city and the next scene was Janeway saying it was a beautiful city but what you couldn't <laughs> afford to show it us and nobody shows up and it's like they never went that route. They never had people go, I don't want to spend 75 years on this goddamn starship following your stupid orders, wearing this stupid uniform. And they should have had people say, I want to stay here. I'm going to stay here. And have stay, 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 stay. Yeah. <laughs> and they never did anything like that. And the, the, battle, the new Battlestar Galactica did that idea much better than Voyager ever did. Like, what do you do when you can't repair the ship? What do you do when you can't just plop a new Viper from wherever they build these things like the the criticism that they just seem to materialize shuttles out of thin air was quite valid they should have cut to engineering and what's his name i don't remember the actor's name but uh macgyver is there putting things together <laughs> richard dean anderson, <laughs> dean anderson. <laughs> he's got a couple of shuttles in bits and he's trying to cobble together one that works he just brings them through the stargate <laughs> you know something that i never thought about with voyager is starfleet to my knowledge, is like a voluntary service. So why couldn't people have just been like, piss off? I'm not. I don't. Well, there I'm, is there is a really good one at, towards the back end of the first season. There's three Mackie officers who are being insubordinate, and Tuvok is basically ordered to whip them into shape. And one of them actually says, "I'm not doing this bullshit. What are you going to do? Put me in the brig for 75 years?" And he's absolutely right. He's got Janeway over a barrel, though. What is she going to do to him? Yeah, but then they undid that by making all those. Maki dissenters into secretly Cardassian. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, should we go back to Brenda Irvin's email that inspired the Voyager conversation? <laughs> yes, 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 we well, should. That, well, that was a fun tangent. I enjoyed that. We haven't talked about Voyager much. So we didn't read Brenda's email yet. We haven't read it yet, no. Alright, uh, I'll jump on this one again. <clears throat> Brenda says, Hey guys, I found your podcast a couple of weeks ago. You didn't ago, say the title of it! Alamarine! Alamarine! Move along home. <laughs> I found your a couple of weeks ago, and I'm up to episode 104. Move along home just came on TV, so I had to write in. I find it completely delightful how much you hate this episode. <laughs> it's hands down one of my favorites. I love Voyager 2. So right now you're questioning my taste and perhaps my sanity. That's okay. You give me interesting <laughs> things to think about, and about since we rarely agree on much of anything. My husband thanks you for giving me someone else to engage with for all things Trek, because he is sick and tired of it. Thank you. Thanks for your hard work on this thoroughly engaging podcast, and I look forward to catching up with the episodes in real time. Regards, Brenda. Thank you, Brenda, and. I, if I haven't made it clear enough over the run of this podcast, I love dissenting views that are sent with respect, and uh, you, you fit the, the description to a T. I appreciate you, that you, that you can uh, enjoy our, our differing opinions from you and not be insulted by them. And, and I do believe everybody's got a right to like whatever it is they like, even if it's move along home. Mm-hmm. Hey, and you're, you're, you're talking to somebody who thinks Spock's brain's a work of staggering genius, so if you want to like Move Along Home, fair play to you. What? Andy loved Move Along Home. Don't let him kid you. <laughs> <laughs> he had the highest rating on the episode. Yeah, one. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wait, who's on the call that thinks that Spock's brain's a... Oh, uh, I think Spock's brain's brilliant. <laughs> oh, Andy, Andy. So much fun. You're a nice guy, but you and I are through professionally. No, I got, I got his boring. I got his back on that one. Up yeah. until it gets really dumb at the end of that one, I, the last time I watched it, I was struck by the similarities with Star Trek Three, which I think is one of the best <laughs> of the Star Trek movies. Yeah, it, it's yeah. actually a really good episode until it falls apart. Yes, until you it's really good until we start. Yeah, I, I will agree that it's really good until it falls apart. The question is, when does that happen? When does it fall <laughs> apart? Like we've just discussed that one of the main problems with Voyager is that he's frequently boring, right? Spock's brain is not boring. It's just nonsensical when you have Kirk saying, McCoy, how much time do we have? McCoy says, I can't tell you. And they argue about how McCoy cannot tell him for two minutes. And then when Kirk is leaving, McCoy says, by the way, we need to get this done in 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> What's not well, funny it, about that? You, you you cannot hate an episode that gave us probably the greatest quote in TV history, which is, his brain's gone. I, I just The way he delivers that line just cracks me up every time. It's awesome. And here I thought you were going to say, brain, brain, what is brain? That's a great one, too. Yes, it is. That has more utility, I think. I, I love it. I can watch that episode every week and twice on Sundays and still think it's fun. And you get a remote-controlled Spock. You get a remote-controlled Spock. Can we put a faster battery in this thing? Come on, move, move! And they reuse it in DS9. Why was that never a toy? A remote-controlled Spock. Life-size Leonard Nimoy. Because Mego went under. (laughs) So moving along home, our our next email is from David Liss. Who's got this one? I'll read this one. This one is fan mail. Hey guys, lifelong Star Trek fan here. One of my earliest memories is watching the original series episode Arena and thinking that I wanted everything on TV to have a lizard man in it. Fair enough. (laughs) I bet he was mad at with V. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? Now I'm a full-time novelist. And I even have a series of books. I thought he was going to say, not a full-time lizard man. That's what I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Don't let the ASPCA know. I have a series of books in which Trek fandom is often a major element in the story. I was in graduate school and without a TV for much of Deep Space Nine's original airing. And I only tuned in for its last three seasons, which I remember finding exceptional. Recently, I decided to dive in and do a complete rewatch. And I thought it would be fun to listen to a podcast that was doing the same thing. I feel lucky to have stumbled on your program. I tried another one, by the way, but it was way too light on the truck geekery for me. After watching an episode, I enjoy hearing your opinions. And I especially value the behind-the-scenes trivia and your identifying the guest actors. I'm usually content to idly think, I know that actor from somewhere, and then forget about it. We must be around the same age because we grew up watching a lot of the same programs. So identifying someone as a guest star from The Incredible Hulk or The Six Million Dollar Man definitely tracks for me. I've only just started my rewatch. So if you read my email on the show, I probably won't know about it for quite a long time. But I wanted you all to know how much your podcast is enhancing my time with Deep Space Nine. Thanks for doing this. Best, David Liss. And David Liss wrote a Spider-Man novel that I have read. 
Hey. He wrote Hostile Takeover. Very nice. cool. Which is based on uh, one of the games. That is that is really cool. And he puts a uh, a link underneath his name for something called the Pe- Peculiarities, uh, which is let's see, it says uh, Thanks from for clicking popular that historical. Because, because huh? I've been clicking that and I'm like, damn it, I can't go. Stop <laughs> sharing. That. Do you do you, do you uh, did your screen pick up where it went to, or is it still yeah, showing no. that? No, you've, yeah, you've got it now. So it says from popular historical fiction, author David Liss, and then it puts in uh, parentheses a conspiracy of paper. So that must be his uh, most well-known novel, I guess. Comes the tale of a clueless young man embroiled in a deadly supernatural mystery in Vulcanian London. Oh no, that's Victorian London. Uh, rooted in strange conspiracies and secret societies, this absurdist co- comedic rap combines. Romp, excuse me, combines strange bedfellows with murderous creatures, resulting in an unexpectedly delightful in un, an unexpectedly delightful consequences. So in other Someone words, needs, it's, uh, it's Andy and Supernatural in London. That's what it sounds like. Uh, how could oh, that I just not realized he wrote the Spider for uh, for Dynamite. I knew his name sounded familiar. That was a really good, uh, really good comic. I don't know if you guys are familiar, you're familiar with that or not. Yeah, he took over uh, when they had uh, was it the Daredevil event, Shadowland, that took him off the table, and Black Panther took over as the Man Without Fear. He was writing that as well. So yeah, he's got some yeah. impressive credits, and that peculiarities that that uh, Paul just read about actually comes out on my next birthday. So that's maybe something worth looking into. Perhaps you could get him on uh, back of the bins. Yeah. I'd be totally down for that. Cause, I, think, uh, uh, I think we should uh, respond to his email and, and invite him on. Yeah. Yeah. So he talked about guest stars, and before I forget, because I mean, ever, who knows the next time I'll be able to say this line, it's a fake. <laughs> <laughs> who knows the next time you're going to be able to say it? I use that line like at least two or three times a week. I can just to see people you. who have no idea what it means. I can just see you, Paul, going into court. <laughs> Oh yeah, holding oh, up something is it's a fake. But he's got to grip it in his in, in his hand, rolled up. Yeah, it's a fake. Just in the name of commercialism, I did go ahead and while I was on Kindle, buy a copy uh, or digital copy of uh, Spider-Man Hostile Takeover. Happened right here live, or well, delayed. He made at least one sale by his email. Yeah, well, I already have that book, so he's made another sale before he you know, wrote into our show and said nice things about us, which is lovely. Yes, thank you, David. I hold in my hand the final email. Okay. I should read this one, I suppose. I think so. I think this one would go well being written by, read by Blaine. All right. So this email is episode 167 feedback, soccer versus football, and it was written by Blaine Dowler. Hi, guys. The Two True Freaks website updates are done, so I could finally catch up on listening. In the opening to episode 167, you wonder about the terminology of soccer versus football. When the sport everyone outside of North America refers to as football first came to North America, it was treated as an elitist sport played only by members of the Football Association. The terminology evolved over time. Football Association player. Association player. Associationer. Socher. Soccer player. So it was originally given a name that made sense, but it warped and evolved over time. The term soccer came about because the English language is abused by its speakers, as it should be because English is a horrible language, and I feel sorry for people who have to learn it as a second language after being raised speaking something sensible. Blaine. 
You know what's funny, Blade, is most of the people on this call don't know what you're referencing, because I've listened to it since they have. They recorded, I end up months later, end up editing. So I understand your reference. <laughs> well, what I could say is, is the your comment about the English language and learning it after you've learned a sensible one uh, is also true in reverse. Having learned the rules of English, I have never been able to adapt myself to learn another language, although I've tried. And all I end up doing is instead of learning how to speak the other language, I just learn how to take certain words of that language and plug them into a sentence in the same way we would in English, uh, because I can't adapt my mind to different ways of speaking. Uh, This is how English was built. (laughs) Well, not proper English. Right, Andy? I don't know what you're on about. Andy doesn't know anything about it, and after we're done here, he's going to go dancing with the other chimney sweeps. <laughs> <laughs> That's in London, you doofus. Isn't everything in England in London? No. You don't have a chimney in your house? No, we had it removed. Well, you got tired no. of Dick Van Dyke dropping? <laughs> oh, we got tired of Dick Van Dyke dropping by pretending he can speak in a British accent, yeah? And Next, he had, he's going to tell us... Big Ben is outside the window. Big Ben is totally outside my window. And you live in a cast. But you can't see it because of the fog. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a police call box on every corner. Yeah. Are we ticking off every boring cliche? That's the goal. Yeah. And they just brought it to a dead stop. (laughs) Well, you know what? That was the last email. So I guess we are now in position to give final thoughts on this series and close it out. All right, well, I started the show. I'll, I'll, I'll be, you know, start this. In, um, Deep Space Nine holds up in such an extraordinary way. I mean, going through this, we see the weak spots in it, like doing a uh, Extreme Measures episode right before the finale because we're out of money. But overall, it's, it's, it is a genuinely good journey across seven years. And you see huge character growth. The Kira from Season 1 would not be the Kira in seven, Season 7. So it's, it's, it's something that... We'll, you know, I will go back and re-listen to the whole show again, just to have the complete journey. And I, I'm excited to see the, the entire journey out there once this episode gets released. That will bring me great satisfaction, and hopefully Sean would be proud. I've had the pleasure of speaking to Mrs. Engel in the last few months, and she believes he would be. I'm just going to give my final thoughts because I already gave my introduction thoughts on doing the show. I just want to say thank you to my very, very good friends and co-hosts, and thank you to the listeners. Amen. I agree. Yes. Yeah, it was great. I really enjoyed doing it. It was uh, it was worthwhile getting up every Saturday morning and lolling around for a couple of hours with a few lazy bastards to get out of bed. Andy's <laughs> <laughs> um, almost ready to go to bed. Yeah. No, seriously, I, I have. I've very much enjoyed hanging out with you. It's been a great fun and a great ride. And it was the fact that we were watching Deep Space Nine was kind of an irrelevant reason <laughs> for us to just get together, really. Because, you know, if there wasn't an ocean separating us and we didn't have a f***ing pandemic, we'd go out for a beer every week. As soon as we develop transporter technology. Mm. Well, I would like to thank you guys for taking me along on this ride. Because, like I said, I hadn't seen the end of Deep Space Nine. So it's with my weird mental illness where I have to listen to every Two True Freaks podcast produced. It forced me into watching you bastard! (laughs) <laughs> now look, just because you laugh like a chipmunk at two times speed, don't blame me. You're not supposed to listen to me laugh at two times speed. <laughs> and I couldn't listen to it all. 
So, Andy, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to speak two times slower to force Gene to listen to you at your normal speed. So, you're... Hoping Chris already tried that. It doesn't work for them. (laughs) Yeah, my my podcast player lets me play at four times speed, so going half speed isn't going to do anything. (laughs) I only listen at double speed, too, because, again, there are more podcasts coming out than I have time to listen to. So Mm -hmm. will I prefer to listen at normal speed? When I did that, my phone kept saying, you're running out of storage. And I'm going, but it's 64 gigs. What are you talking about? And then I realized I've got 40 gigs of podcasts. So <laughs> Double Speed helps keep a handle on that. Yep. I watched you fail the panel scan, dude. <laughs> but as I was saying, thank you very much for taking me along on the ride. You guys did a, an excellent job. And yes, I also believe that Sean would be very proud of you. And I'm really looking forward to Tune Trek, plug, because that is one of Did my you? favorite iterations of Star Trek. Well, no, you'd be happy we'll to, to know that, an that we've actually been quite kind to her. It it does actually hold up pretty well, and you get some really good things come out of it, like the hollow deck and and Majel Barrett talking really slow and sexy like a cat. Oh. <laughs> and the first on-screen confirmation of Kirk's middle name. Mm, yep. And a three-armed, three-legged guy that can't think enough to hold on to something when the gravity. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers, that was in one of the episodes. <laughs> no, well, yeah, I could mention my thoughts on the animated series, but you guys are going to hear them anyway. So, but yeah, the animated series will, your opinion of it will vary greatly depending on whether you're focusing on looking at the show at a production level or looking at the show at a script level. Mm-hmm. Because they are two very different levels on that series. And sometimes we look at it as an adult and as a child level, because well, it was... We're children at heart. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> I thought we were going a different direction. I want to uh, say as well, so again, thanks guys for getting me involved in this series with you know the feedback and the science. It has been a really good journey going through this again. It has been my favorite trick for a while, but I was miss watching it because of my uh, schedule as a student when this came out. I was in university for the last few years and yeah you guys gave me the impetus to sit down and watch it all in sequence and you know like dave said at the start i would put deep space nine at the number one spot for character development in the entire history of star trek nothing star trek has ever produced has had this much development of so many characters i mean i think we know more about jake and nog who were maybe 30 or 40 episodes each than we knew about, say, Deanna Troy at the end of Next Gen, or almost anyone on the original series. Like, it, They decided to sit down and do it, and as Andy said, it's because of Iris Stephen Bear taking over. He became showrunner in Season 3, and in Season 3 he didn't go as serialized as he wanted to because he was still touched in the waters because he was told he wasn't allowed to, but figured, well, how closely are we being watched and what are the repercussions... So he played with it a little bit and just didn't write to be continued at the end of the episode, but still had a two-parter. And when nobody noticed and nobody said anything, he said, okay. And then, especially when Berman came to him to break the news that, you know, Star Trek is a show about a ship. And when Voyager's on, you're never going to be number one. Voyager will take that number one spot. Understand, you will always be number two. And he 
you know, played it like he was downtrodden and disappointed until Berman left the office and he ran to the writer's room and said, hey, great news, guys, we can do whatever the hell we want. <laughs> so, yeah, this this became my favorite track because, as we said, it was absolutely more serialized than anything that came before. And it wasn't until Netflix was out and network or television networks could say, all right, it is now safe to assume people have seen every episode in order that serialization became the norm. That is a direct side effect of Netflix, and that, you know, it's influenced Star Trek as they're being produced now, but I think Deep Space Nine had the best balance of serializing, but still telling multiple stories. If you look at Discovery and Picard, it is really one story per season, broken into so many chapters, with the exception of maybe two standalones in the middle of the first season of Discovery, that really is only told three stories after three seasons. Whereas Deep Space Nine had the ongoing pieces moving forward, but you still had a complete beginning, middle, and end along the way of multiple chapters, and it's a hard line to walk. So kudos to Iris Stephen Bear and the rest of the team behind this series for making something that was worth talking about for seven years. Nobody all at once. So I guess that's it. I guess that's oh. everybody's thoughts on the show. Again, a special thank you to Derek William Crabb for sending us the Niners hats. Yes. Yeah, oh, yes, very much so. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know how publicly he wanted to make that, but I, I definitely, yeah. Well, that's why. Sh- William Crabb. You could look him up on Facebook. History of Comics on Film. Extremely good podcaster and very generous heart. It's very, very much appreciated. And good guy. Yeah. Just and good guy. guy. Wait, Rod Stewart wrote Faith of the Heart? Yeah, yes. he originally sang it for, uh, hmm. what, uh, what's the really bad... Robin Williams' Doctor movie. Patch Adams. Patch Adams. Oh. I like that, that <laughs> Paul twigged on to ba- that really bad. No, I just... I, didn't, I, didn't they originally went to YouTube? I never actually saw surprise. Patch Adams. I cannot comment as, as to the quality of the movie. I've never seen it. You too did a song for Enterprise? No, didn't they want to use oh. a YouTube song <laughs> Probably. for Enterprise? What would they use? Uh, we have to find Sunday, one. bloody Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I see Archer on the bridge. Still haven't found what I'm looking for? That would be Voyager. That would be Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted it to be U2's Beautiful Day. Ah, that, that that's doesn't even work. That's less Star Trek than Faith yeah. of the Heart, but whatever. I like that song, but it does not fit. Uh, One, two, three, Catorso. No, that's, that's Vertigo. Vertigo. All right, everybody. It's time to pack up the ship and go off to the uh, other quadrant. You just a long road. You just pulled the way you move along home. Oh, it is time to move along home. Hell of a rain. Goodbye, everybody. It's been my absolute pleasure. Wait, what did Blaine say? Listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the 2TrueFreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. Who the hell left this program running so long? Computer, end program, and delete.